Wolves fans, a new era is here, and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coach and the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome party people to the coach and the crooner, Timberwolves podcast. Welcome, 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 everyone in Timberwolves podcast, universe, multiverse, sphere. You are now tuned into the show formerly known as the Coach and the Crooner. My name is Coach Frank Centuali. And of course, we got the super producer, brother Lloyd Leon Coop. What's happening? What's up, man? It's been a little while, but we in here. We yes, back in here. Yes, it is. Um, for those of you just tuning in, um, the Coach and the Crooner show is in uh, retread, and we are looking for a new title. And so we've already had a couple options thrown out there, the Coach and the Culture, the Coach of the Culture. If you all have some other ideas, please feel free to hit us on the uh, Twitter uh, direct message. Uh, hit us in the Twitter sphere and let us know. Still under the uh, label on Twitter, the coach and the crooner, uh, I believe. Maybe we've changed it. We'll get it changed. That's for certain. But nonetheless, uh, we are back and in the place to be. I am back, Coach Frank Sintwali. And we have a special guest with us this evening. Um, good friend of ours, uh, longtime sports enthusiast, St. Paul native, keyboardist, songwriter, producer, a ranger uh please welcome to the show brother rob coleman what's happening rob what's up my brother brother Santuali, cool how y'all doing tonight man we are feeling good it's it's the nba playoffs time how can we not be feeling good great time of the year yeah has not disappointed at all yes indeed uh brother rob why don't you go ahead and give the listening audience a little bit of your background and music so they understand uh, the type of genius that we have hanging out with us on the show formerly known as The Coach and the Crooner. <laughs> wow. Just humbled by that introduction. I appreciate it. So I was um, born to the Vert Notch King. That's hilarious. No. <laughs> no, real talk. I am born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota, 651, stand up. Formerly known as the Six One Two, right? Um, uh, high school. Um, a lot of people didn't know, but I actually went to Creighton, so I graduated from Creighton. Um, and went to college at Hampton University at HBCU. Got my undergrad at Marquette, and got my MBA in Walden University. Um, but on the music side, I started playing by accident the piano at seven years old. My brother was playing the piano, taking lessons, and he got bored of it. So my mentor, the Reverend Carl Walker, said, why don't you let your baby play? And my mom sat me on the piano at seven, and for some reason, I took it on and I enjoyed it and my mom got me a piano at 10 and she said if I get you an investor's piano you gotta stick with it and I said okay and by age 11 I played in church 
played in the jazz band with Walker West by age 15, played at two churches. By the time I was in college, um, played or started playing around the country more because of college and just experiences. Um, and that's the piano, by the way, if people are, are wondering. And uh, I've been fortunate to play in church, played outside of church. I have shared the stage with many phenomenal artists and musicians. Um, I've played with uh, a company, Mike Phillips, uh, the extraordinary sax player. Before I have played um, behind Kirk Franklin. Before I have played behind Dorinda Clark Clough. I have played shared the stage with Stokely from In Condition. I have also played for a few other artists but i'm not gonna keep name dropping but i will just say i am humbled to also say i have shared the stage and helped music direct the poets of the city with my big brother frank swintwally um a joyous time and i want to tell y'all i'm gonna give a shout out to edgy poetic shout out to the program edgy pole uh, those are my big brothers. They have definitely been uh, an insp- inspiration to me. Um, Black down here in Alligator, Mississippi, I think still. Is that correct? Uh, he's in Chicago now. He's in okay. Chicago. Okay. I'm, I'm behind the time. And uh, my brother up in the north side still. Yep. T-U-C-U. You're on the north side. Yes, sir. Going anywhere. Cushion is extraordinaire. So y'all, y'all three brothers have taken me in as little bro and allow me to be a part of that culture and man help groom me as a musician as well. So I appreciate you and edgy pole for the time uh, of my life where I grew there. You know what I'm saying? And hopefully we can share the stage again. So absolutely, man, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny that you mentioned all of those things because, you know, we have been so heavy on uh, the show that was formerly known as the coach and the crooner on strictly talking about the Timberwolves this season as we've tried to catch up with the whirlwind of things that happened, that most of our listening audience uh, and our podcast followers that are new have no idea uh, really uh, what I've done as a spoken word artist or as part of a band um, in the Twin Cities and around the country because I just have not shared that with them. So uh, those that are tuning back in, this is the first time they're even knowing about that side of me because I've just been the coach and we've let uh, the crooner be the crooner. But yeah, the coach got a little artistic talent too. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, coach is a phenomenal basketball mind. Um, knows his X's and O's and understands the game extraordinaire. But if you want somebody to drop you a quick eight bars, <laughs> a quick 16, a, a quick 30, a, a quick 30, Man, he give you all the show. A quick third through. Not, I didn't say a long. I said a quick third. <laughs> Thank you. Bro. Um, he can do it, and I, I'll say this, man. Like everybody is multi-talented and multi-gifted on this platform. Um, you know, uh, the producer can also sing. That's so great. you know, oh, I'm gonna I'm share with all that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, like, you telling on us, man. They didn't know right. that. Oh, right. they thought all they was talk about basketball. You well, can't. Hey, I want to share the joys in life because being a Minnesota sports fan ain't the joy in my life. 
being a Vikings fan, being a Timberwolves fan, being a, 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 a Twins fan, you know, it, it hasn't been too kind. Being a Wilds fan, like, nah. I'm ready. I represent the hometown, you know what I'm saying? I'm not currently residing in the city. I reside in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, been here for about five years now, be closer to my mom and family, but you know, I still represent the Twin Cities. I represent St. Paul. That's my that's my home. That's where I'm from. And I always represent the sport team, sports team. So I'm definitely a avid Timberwolves fan and follow the Wolves and Yeah. But, uh, that leads me. That leads me to another to a question I have for you, man. You've been down in Alabama for what about five years now since you left? Since February two thousand and eighteen, yeah. So five yeah, years. yeah, about five years because I remember when you left, it was crushing. <laughs> oh, it's sucking. Oh, and uh, and um, so uh, obviously they don't have a professional basketball team down in Alabama. So is there a team that the people that live in your region particularly follow? Would it be Memphis? Would it be Houston? Like, who do they follow down there? So down here um, in Alabama, it's a, I'm going to be honest with you, it's a college football state. Yeah. Absolutely. So absolutely. if you're either Alabama or Auburn. Okay. Football. And I'm going to tell you, the Iron Bowl Saturday, which is the last Saturday in November, the Saturday right after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Houses divide on that day. That's how much <laughs> religiously they love Alabama football and Auburn football. Mm-hmm. But for basketball, Memphis is like three and a half hours away, and Atlanta's two hours away. So a lot of people go to Atlanta Hawks games, okay, because it's not too far away. Like I'll go see the Timberwolves play the Hawks mm-hmm. in a heart when I know their schedule there. Right. Uh, I haven't been able to catch them in Memphis yet, but I would love to. And then New Orleans is five hours away, a dri- five hour drive too. Um, so, um, I would love to catch them down there against the Pelicans. So it's a little split, right? Yeah. Uh, and we actually have a G League team that's affiliated with the Pelicans here called the Squadron. Okay. Birmingham Squadron. That's what's up. That's what's up. So you have been able to follow the Timberwolves this season from down there. Cause I do know that you definitely are. A uh, St. Paul, Minnesotan through and through, and you do support Minnesota sports teams. You could be on the planet Neptune, and you still gonna be trying to tune in to the frequency to keep track of what's going on with the hometown sports teams. So, what's your take on things this season, man? Um, wow, you had yeah, this is a great question. Um, it's kind of like uh, a bad like you know you've been in a relationship with a, with a, with your girl and. And you get to that status, it's complicated. I know all about it. <laughs> That's how it feels this season. Like, you know, you start the season off with uh, Rudy, the Rudy Gorbear trade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you thought that, you know, thinking that was going to be a good trade in the sense of, like, for me, speaking for me, thinking that was going to be a good trade. I didn't like what we gave up, but I understand what we had to give up in order to obtain them. Um, and not just the players, but like the draft picks, because I feel like we just started getting like the draft picks because of like our seasons not being where they were, like playoffs or, you know, being under 500 and right. getting those nice lottery picks. And we're starting to build a team. And think about it. We kind of just started rebuilding in the last 10 years because of the Kevin Garnett trade. You know what I'm saying? What well, we gave up for him. And, uh, Finally, seeing like you know, the Carl Anthony Towns and Levine and 
Wiggins, and then we trade Levine, and you know, following through the years, and then we get Jimmy Buckets and the Thibodeau, and we make the playoffs with Jimmy Buckets, you know, his his season here, and then that became a disaster, and he left, and you know, it was just like, okay, what 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 next? And then all of a sudden, we started building. We we get a number one draft pick, and we get Anthony Edwards, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people wanted us to take LaMelo, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But we, we took Anthony Edwards and, you know, he's been phenomenal since he's been at, uh, uh, in Timberwolf. And uh, I like his game. Um, but to go back to the question, I'm just, I know, sorry, got off on a tangent, but it, it's complicated because we got the Ro- Rudy Gobert trade, thought that was going to be nice with Cat. And then all of a sudden, injury started c- c- creeping in. You know, Cat got injured. He didn't play the majority of the season. So that kind of changed, you know, the structure of the team and how they were going to uh, play, you know, and who's the focus point of the team. Right. And I think Finch, uh, he gets a bad rap because, you know, you know, we were talking offline before we even got on here. You know, it's like, what can he do when cats are injured and he doesn't have his full team, you know? And right. then, you know, you know, you bring in new players and they're trying to adjust to a system and a culture. And and do we even say we have a culture here? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is that culture? What and, I, I, think, I think you bring up something. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think you bring up something really important because a lot of the chatter has been about, you know, Finch's late game offense and, uh, you know, the the seemingly – lack of control of an immature team um and you know the 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 you know the Kyle Anderson you know Rudy Gobert little kerfuffle which you know as a former player and as a coach it's like you know it's unfortunate that it happened you know in front of fans in a live game situation versus like practice where that stuff happens all the time just let Draymond Green tell you about it but um, you know um and then and then, you know, Jaden McDaniels is somebody who was interesting as they talk about, you know, Finch's lack of control over the discipline of the team and stuff. But those are the same people that want to remind you that Jaden McDaniels fell to where he fell in the draft because teams were worried about his emotional control. And, you know, for the most part, he's just a 22-year-old kid trying to figure it out, you know, as as a young man in the world, basketball or no basketball and, you know, Finch can only have so much of a influence over that. And, you know, that, you know, then the story came out that, well, there was a curtain and Jaden didn't know that there was a wall behind the curtain. I don't know how much of that I believe because it's not like they don't walk down that tunnel every, you know, every other day. Right, right. Um, but I can also see that, you know, in the heat of a moment, you go to punch the curtain and you kind of forget there's a wall behind there. And, you know, whatever happened, it happened. Um, and that's something he's got to grow from. But what you bring up to me is a really interesting point when you look at it from a macro sense, right? Because this is only Finch is in his third year. He took over halfway through the season three seasons ago, right? Right. So last year was, and that was a team that, you know, minus Patrick Beverly, a very young Vanderbilt, not getting a lot of minutes. Cat was injured a lot that year. Right. Remember, people were saying they should tank. And Finch was like, no, we need to take what we got and start learning how to win because we got to figure out what we got for next year. Right. That was the big thing. Right. And then so last year he had one team. They brought in Patrick Beverly, who was a great culture creator. Um, Finch 
Finch is only two and a half years into creating a culture period, right? So, and because we know it was a train wreck with Gert, Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders and how all of that went down. So this is a team that's been looking for culture for a long time, right? And so last year you have one team and then you make the trade over the summer, right? And you get rid of, you know, three key components from last year's team plus your draft pick that you brought in. And now you're bringing in Gobert. You signed Kyle Anderson to free agency. You know, some other guys that were ancillary free agents. Now, you know, including like, uh, what's the name who's not even here anymore? Uh, uh, the guard that went to Michigan State. I'm drunk. Uh, Brent Forbes, you know, who's not even here anymore, who gets bought out, you know, and then you know, you got this D'Angelo Russell contract situation. And what we talked about was, you know, from a coach's standpoint, I feel like Cat was going to be the bridge between D'Lo and Rudy, right? Right. And, and when Cat got hurt, you really saw those issues between D'Lo and Rudy. And I think, you know, from a player standpoint, I look at it and I'm like, Rudy's probably like, man, I can't be cleaning up all your defensive messes. And D'Lo's like, and every time I pass you the damn ball, you drop it, you know, and I'm trying to force feed you the ball and then my turnover's going on my ledger. You know, and so you could see without Cat there that they didn't have that um guy to kind of be the balance between those two and and, and um between Rudy and Delo. And then on top of that, how many NBA teams are in the playoffs right now that started a 21 year old and a 22 year old in their starting lineup, right? And what we know the saying goes in the NBA, youth doesn't win, right? Young players don't make the playoffs. And there have been some exceptions. Memphis, obviously, last year was an exception to that rule, right? Um, right. And the funny thing is, when young players do make the playoffs, it's because they have a prodigious lead guard, right? And and when I say lead guard, I mean point guard, lead guard. So when right. the Bulls, you know, under Tibbs were making that run, who was their point guard? Derrick Rose, right? Right. When Memphis was the second youngest team in the league or whatever last year, and they made that run, John Morant, right? So if you're going to be young and have, you know, un, uncommon success as a young team, it's usually because you have a guard, a point guard that is prodigious at that position. Everybody else who's young, you, you, you very rarely do young teams win. And so I don't think that people really give Finch enough credit for managing a 21-year-old and a 22-year-old who are not just starters, but they are vitally important to the success of your team. And then all of these other semi-quasi-veteran personalities in a seventh-year D-Lo, a seventh-year Cat, and then Rudy, you know, and people forget. Kyle Anderson got hurt against Utah, what, third, fourth game of the season, and missed significant time, and right when he came back, Cat was hurt. Right. So, and Kyle Anderson's another guy that I think was supposed to be glue, right, for Rudy to a certain extent. And so, you know, for them to win 42 games, to make the play-in, to win in the play-in, to make the playoffs, even the fact that they won last night, you know, you can criticize Finch, but it just seems like everybody wants to give everybody the credit but Finch. Oh, last year the credit goes to Patrick Beverly. This year the credit goes to Anthony Edwards. You know, last night's game was about Anthony Edwards, you know. But here's the thing. Anthony Edwards absolutely defended his coach with honesty. In the interview, he talked about 
you know, I took three bad three-point shots down the stretch of the game and almost shot us out of the game, opening the door for, you know, uh, opening the door for Denver to get back in the game down the stretch. I promise you as a coach, Finch does not want the offense to get stagnant in the fourth quarter when the game gets tight. Right. That's what it's like when you are coaching multi-million dollar all-star ego personalities that haven't won yet at a high level in the NBA. They think, okay, it's now time for me to do it myself as opposed to let's stick with what got us there even though the defense is tightening up. I don't think that's something that Finch or any other coach can fix. I think the only thing that fixes that is time and experience. They're going through the They're going through the experience, right? And so, you know, I just, I, I, I had to put that in there because my take on Finch is just like Ant is young, just like Jaden is young, just like this team is the third or fourth iteration of a Timberwolves team he's had in two and a half years. You can't just keep switching coaches and starting over again. At some point in time, you got to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers motto and you hire a coach and you say, okay, let's grow together with this coach. You know, that's my thought on Fitch. So I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I, I agree. Uh, I, I think with that being said, I mean, you eloquently put that uh, so, you know, on point that I think a lot of Timberwolves fans, even, you know, people I know from back home, the first thing that they say is we need to fire Fitch. Yeah, like that's the first thing most Timberwolves fans say. And most of it is, I mean, if you look at late game situations, like Timberwolves lost in close games, like in the regular season. I mean, even showing in the playoffs, about that last game, like you got to think about it. Denver should have won that game. If Joker hits both of his foul shots, mm-hmm. Denver sweeps us. Let's just be honest. Yep, I agree. But he, he missed the foul shots. And then if you saw, the last play of the game, we have ISO ball with AE, which you and I both discussed yesterday um, after watching the game. And, you know, yeah, I don't mind having AE with the ball in the hands at the end of the game and making the decision. But as you can see, Denver played great defense on them, and we go to overtime. But then a key fact of overtime is the Bulls scored 18 points in five minutes. Mm-hmm. So think about that. They scored twelve points in twelve minutes in the fourth quarter. In the in the, in the, in the overtime, when the ball is moving, as we've been talking about, you see Alexander uh, Alexander Walker hit two clutch threes off of Mike Conley moving the ball, spotting him on the open on the on the on, on the three on the open uh, open three on the side, mm-hmm. and he gets two big three pointers in in the open in the overtime and even like how we started the overtime, the alley to go bear, just a movement of ball. But, 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 but by the way, that alley to go bear was absolutely a set play designed by Finch. Right. Right. So, so that's what I mean. Like, is it the players refusing to move the ball or is it the coach doesn't have ball movement uh, schemed in? I know the answer to the question and I think the fans have to um, acknowledge that we got young players who have never won 
at a high level and been in these pressure situations before. And this is the learning curve. Right. You know, we were talking about that offline. Like you said, um, Cat has only played in the playoffs. How many times? This is his third time in the playoffs. And I think what's this his eighth year, eighth or ninth year, right? Eighth or ninth year. Yeah. And, and think about it. He's been injured, you know, frequently in the latter part of his like you know in the last, the last few years yeah. yeah and you look at it this year and even last year when he was injured we still made the playoffs he's not in midseason form yet like that's the thing this season will end with cat i'm assuming they're gonna lose tomorrow but i could be wrong you know if they lose another game to denver this season will end with cat never reaching a midseason rhythm Played 20 games. He got hurt for 52 games. He came back, played the last, what, eight eight games of the regular season? Eight, something right. like that, uh, the regular season. Um, he So that means he's on game number, uh, and I, don't, I should look up the exact number. I should know this. We're doing a podcast. I should know exactly how many games Cat played, but I don't. So I believe he came back with eight games to go. Maybe super producer can look it up while we're talking. Um, but I believe it was like eight games that he played to end the regular season. And then the two playing games, um, that's 10. And then now four playoff games, that's 14. So he's played a total of 14 games with Mike Conley, a total of 14 games with Nikhil Alexander Walker. Um, I don't even know how many games he's actually played with Kyle Anderson because Kyle Anderson was hurt when Cat got hurt. Right. right. Um, Again, so this is what, how many games with Rudy Gobert then? You know, maybe, maybe 20. Well, we're on maybe 34 games with Rudy Gobert. That's not, I remember Rudy was hurt too. Right. So that's not even half an NBA season. Right. Um, and, 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 and through all of this, you know, what's been the one, there have been two constants through everything that has happened. Anthony Edwards. And Chris Finch. Yep. Those have been the two constants. Rudy Gobert, semi constant because he's been there for most of the games, but he's had his times, you know. But the two constants all season long have been Anthony Edwards and Chris Finch. I see 29 games is what Google tells me. That's how many played during the regular season? Yeah. And that's how many he's played total far this year. I think 29 for the regular season. Twenty nine in the regular season, so he played. So that means he came back with nine games to go. So he played twenty nine games in the regular season, and now six games. So he's played uh, thirty five games. games, right? And out of those thirty five games, he's played the last fifteen, right, with a different point guard, now a different starting small forward for the last four. Right, four or five with Nikhil. Really, I think uh, Torian and French started one of those games. Who's also been hurt throughout the season. Right, Anderson's been in and out of the lineup throughout the season. You know, Nas Reed, you know, gets hurt at the end of the season. And that's the other thing. They're playing Denver without two of their top seven rotation, top eight rotation, and now they're getting ready to play them without three either top seven rotation, including two guys that have been with the team for like twenty games now. And yet, somehow, all the fourth quarter breakdowns, when it comes down to execution, when it comes down to, and this is a coach speaking now, 
when it comes down to the most important factor you have to have in order to win close games on both ends of the floor, it's called trust. It's called trust. And trust doesn't happen in 30 games or 40 games. Matter of fact, trust doesn't often happen in 82 games. Trust takes a couple of years to develop of continuity. That's why Denver looks the way they look. You got guys that their core guys have been together for a long time now. Porter Jr., uh, 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 Jamal, uh, and, and uh, Murray and 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 Jokic, um, you know those guys have a symmetry and a trust that everybody else can follow their trust level with each other. And they weathered the storm of injuries too. Yeah. I mean, but when they were injured, they didn't go very far. You know, they you know, I'm saying like they weathered the storm of like those. Like, think about it. Like Michael Porter Jr. didn't play his rookie year. Yeah. Because of you know he had an injured back, and I'm saying like in yeah. the sense of and then now that they're yeah, yeah. you know if Murray injured his ACL, yeah, and like now that you see that they're fully healthy, you can tell that these cats practice together. Like you can tell, like practice whatever Mike Malone is drawing up. Them cats not only understand it, but they believe in that system, and well, they believe in each other. And so you talked about it with the Nikhil Alexander-Walker three-pointers and the ball movement. At the end of the day, why did they lose that lead so quickly? Well, two things happened. One, they clearly, from an energy standpoint, took their foot off the gas. Right. The game was over. And that's the immaturity of this team. They just cannot handle success yet. <laughs> right. And that's, you know, that's that's not playing together a lot and being led by a 21-year-old. Right. So those factors are huge. Um, so they took their foot off the gas, but they stopped moving the ball. And it's the same thing that happened against the Lakers in the fourth quarter. They stopped moving the ball. And when you got a 21 year old that's taking hero shots, it's because he trusts himself before he trusts anybody else. When Cat holds the ball on a dribble handoff opportunity, instead of just going ahead with the dribble handoff and following through the rest of the progressions and the reads of a play, it's because he's trusting himself over the offense, right? And that's also a part of the newness of Chris Finch and Chris Finch's offense, right? And, and, and the newness of the personnel. So ultimately what happened was because Nikhil Alexander Walker hit that one corner three out of the flow of the offense, it developed trust in him. So when it came back to the second time, they were willing to make that pass on time on target because he earned that trust the first time. But that's how fragile trust is when you don't play with guys for years. Because if he right. misses that first one, they might make it, you know, Ant or whoever passed it to him, I don't remember offhand, might make a different decision that second time around, even though the decision is still the right decision to make the pass to the corner, right? So from a coach's standpoint, when fans are talking about, you know, well, Finch's late game offense and the offense bogs down and Finch is running horrible sets, you don't know what he's running because the players are not executing with trust of one another. And that's something, and then, and they're not executing with trust of the coach, but that's not something that happens overnight unless you're going to bring in a coach that has championship pedigree, a coach that has won championships. And those guys are not readily available, right? And even a coach with championship pedigree has to earn that trust from its star players. Kobe didn't trust Phil. It was, it was until Shaq said, look, if we lose, 
everything's my fault. And I trust Phil because MJ trusted Phil. So we all going to trust Phil or you're going to have to come see the diesel. But when he got to New York, they didn't trust Phil and look what happened. Right. And so, um, you know, that's why I'm not an advocate of firing Finch because he's on his fourth team in two and a half years and he's made the playoffs twice and he has yet to have a team that has, that can develop trust continuity with each other and with him and his system at the end of game. But winning that game the other night with Nikhil Alexander Walker making those shots goes a long way. And then here's the other factor. Who's usually in that spot that Nikhil Alexander Walker was in? Slow enough? No, nah, Jaden. Oh, Jaden. That's right. Jaden. Jaden's usually in that spot. That's his position. That's his role. Do you think they trust Jaden to make that pass to him for that shot? Sure they do. Ant does. He said as much. And he's trusted him with that pass earlier this season, even though Jaden didn't make it. And what did Ant say? I'm coming right back to you. Right? And then the next game, he made that shot. And he's made a number of big shots down the stretch of games throughout the season. So he's earned the trust of his teammates. Well, now you have a guy in that position who hasn't earned that trust yet. Right? So that's the type of stuff they're dealing with when people are talking about Finch's late game offense and, you know, their execution in the fourth quarter, you can't execute if you don't have trust. And right, right. now, this is a team that's trust level with each other is fragile. And that's not necessarily on the coach because you don't have personnel that has the experience of going through it together. That's true. You know, that that's that's my that's my argument to all of the fire finch people is that i think under the circumstances he's done an incredible job and there's variables that i don't think people understand unless you've coached and you know i watched a high school kid in a varsity game and a tie game down the stretch standing right next to the coach as he's being pressured and the coach calls a play twice and the kid's under pressure, so he goes rogue against the play and decides to do what he wants to do, and we get a charge call, and the other goes the other way, and the other team goes down and scores the winning baskets, and that's high school ball. So imagine trying to get multi-million dollar egotistical superstars to do what you want them to do down the stretch of a game when the pressure is high and the defense is trying to take away what they see. Right. You know. I agree. So that's, you know, so, so let me ask you this from your perspective. Uh, what do they have to do to win tomorrow? I said, they got to move the ball. I mean, you said it all in in the speech. They got to trust each other, man. And, and just play with heart. Like Denver to me, like watching them is like watching poetry and motion on offense. Agreed. Like how they move the ball, and like, yeah, Jokic is the man, but Murray, Porter Jr., Caldwell Pope, all compliment him so well. Like it's just amazing to see. Yeah, well, and here's the thing: we just talked about it. It's really easy to compliment a guy that you feel like has supreme trust in you, right? Yeah. And Jokic gives everybody that confidence. 
If you move and get open, I'm going to find you. All you got to do is do your anchor, man. Yeah. Well, he'll find you. And, and he'd rather pass the ball. You know, it, it, it's not lost on me that the game he scores 43 points is the only game that Denver loses. That's interesting, right? Yeah. Because I think Jokic would much rather get 20 points and 12 assists than score 43 points. Because for the offense and what they're trying to accomplish, if he's getting those 12 assists, that means guys are cutting and moving. They're getting open. And, and he's just diamond people. He was put in a position where the last option, I think, for Denver's offense, more often than not, is for Jokic to score. And so he was put in a position a lot where that was the only option available. Um, and to his credit, if you make him score, he'll drop 40 on your head. But again, they only scored a hundred and what? A hundred and a hundred and eight points or something like that. Yeah. You know, and so. I think that's the first game that all the stars didn't score double digits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and credit to the Timberwolves defense, it's probably the first time they actually executed the game plan. Because com- coming into the series, they talked about how they want to make Jokic a score. Well, in order to make Jokic a score, you got to do a few things. One, you can't turn the ball over. I think this was their lowest turnover output game of the series so far. Two, you have to control your defensive backboards. It's the first game of the series that the Timberwolves actually won the battle on the glass. And then three, you have to stick to people like glue on the cutters and focus on taking away those passing angles and not focus on what watching what Jokic is doing. And to me, their activity last night on bodying up on cutters and not being so caught up in watching Jokic with the ball and just being like, I'm staying with my man. If Jokic goes to score one-on-one, then so be it. And and so, you know, again, there's trust. You can't execute without trust. So with their backs against the wall, they trusted the game plan. But, you know, it can't be underscored. You know, a big part of that was the fact that the Wolves didn't turn the basketball over. Because when you turn the basketball over, you, you're not going to win anyway in the playoffs. And I think that game yesterday, they also won the points in the paint. Yeah, I, that wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't surprise me at all. John Morant went down again. Yep, I just saw that. Yeah, I, I mean, that was just a matter of time before he fell and tried to put his hand down to break his fall. Yeah. Uh, that was just a matter of time. But, yeah, so so going back to the Wolves, so if they don't win tomorrow night, we, we talked about what they need to do to win, and I agree with you. I think it's pretty simple. Don't turn the ball over and keep moving the ball, which is, you know, kind of uh, – that 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 means you have to be professional because if you're moving the ball, that means there's an opportunity for turnovers. That means decision making is paramount, right? And decision making right. hasn't been this team's strength. So, you know, can they go on the road against what is likely to be a much more physical Denver defense um and a much more um um liberal uh whistle against the Wolves and conservative for Denver? on the road tomorrow, can they handle that physicality and still protect the ball, right? And not turn the ball over while still moving the ball, right? Can they move their bodies, move the ball, deal with the physicality and not turn it over? If they do those things, win or lose, because if they do those things, they could still lose a close game, right? Because Denver's just that good. But if right. they 
those things and they lose a close game, I think between winning last game and then showing that they can execute against high pressure level, close out physicality on the road and still give themselves a chance to win. That's something to build off of for next year. But you fire Finch or you get make a major trade and you're essentially right back to where you started at the beginning of this year. And I just think you can't keep starting over. You've got to say these are the lumps that we needed to take to get to the next step. And you've got to stay status quo. And if you're going to stay status quo, having two all NBA centers, an all star off guard, a veteran point guard, a veteran six man, a young stud defender is a good place to start if you're going to say these are our lumps and let's stand pat and run it back. I think we definitely should run it back with who we have. I agree. You know, I, I, I think that top seven in the rotation, really top eight, if you consider Nikhil Alexander Walker and Nas Reed, Kyle Anderson, and then the starting five. Um, I think, yeah, I think that top eight, you have to bring back. And then from there, you look to upgrade. I think you got to keep smoke. You got to keep Solomon. You got to keep Connolly. You got to keep. You got to keep. Well, those guys are under contract. So keeping them shouldn't be a problem. You would have to trade them to get rid of them. Right? That's good. Um, Tory and Prince, you got a team option on. So I think you have to look at that position. You pick up the team option unless you absolutely think you can find something better out there. Um, or do a sign, you know, some type of trade deal with him. But, you know, you got you to gotta make sure that you're really upgrading because Torian Prince isn't a bad player, you know. Not you at all. Make sure that you're upgrading um, if you're going to do that. Um, and then I think, you know, I think, you know, you put Jaden back in that starting five, a healthy Jaden with Connolly and, and a healthy Cat and Ant. I think you have to run that group back for a second year with a full offseason to work together. Um, you know, and hopefully everybody's hungry. Hopefully Cat really stops skipping leg day and puts some work into, you know, his lower body strength and his change of direction ability and actually adds to his game for the first time in a while. And hopefully, you know, Ant adds that mid-post, low-post, you know, MJ Kobe-type guard game to his game so when the shot clock's running down, he doesn't have to face up and drive in the traffic, but you can just go to him in the mid post and he can do work, you know, a la Carmelo, a la Kobe, a la, uh, you know, MJ, a la, you know, LeBron. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you actually can get the player development coaches to work on Rudy on being able to make a contested layup. <laughs> you know, and, and you run it back. You know, and, and you come back with, with your bench, you know, you got to figure out how to resign Nas, have to figure that out. And you got to figure out how to keep Nikhil Alexander Walker in slow mo. And then you got eight solid. And then you got to figure out, you know, what nine through 15 is going to look like. You need a backup point guard and you need a true professional shooter, you know, um, for depth, you know, and then you probably got Minot and more. You know, ideally that those, those two picks from this past year, you develop them and they actually become players that over the course of a season can help you steal a game here or there. And you don't finish eighth next year, but instead you finish, you know, four or five. What do you, what's your thoughts on more? I don't know yet. Um, I don't know yet because I don't know 
what type of offensive player he is. And, and so, um, you know, I, it's, I, I just don't know yet. He was a good shooter his last year at Duke. He was the guy they kind of went to for a bucket. Um, but, but he also ran the point a lot for Duke. Um, right. He's just, there's nothing that stands out about it, right? He's just kind of solid at everything, but doesn't have a skill that really stands out. And so I don't know what he's going to develop into, you know? And I think Minot, on the other hand, I see a lot of Jared Vanderbilt in him. You do? Yep. I see a lot of Jared Vanderbilt in him. Um, maybe with a little bit better outside shooting. Um, but, uh, and that's not a bad thing. When I say I see a lot of Jared Vanderbilt in him, if he can become a Swiss army knife defender with a pogo stick, hot game, Dennis Robin type run the floor energy and can knock down an occasional shot. You got yourself a player. What's your boss on Garza? Nas Reed insurance. I don't, you know, um, I don't know. We'll see. You know, he, 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 uh, I think he'll be back with the Wolves next year. Um, because I just think that, um, you don't know what's going to happen with Nas Reed. You don't know what's going to happen with, um, you know, I think that he'll probably be back instead of Nate Knight. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I just, I think that. I think that in an emergency duty and over the course of a season, as we saw this year, I think Garza can 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 steal you some games. Um but I think he's too much of a defensive liability over the long term to be somebody that you would look at as a regular rotation guy. But if Nas Reed go, leaves via free agency, then um I think Garza's going to get his shot. Gotcha. You know, I would love to see those eight players you said stay. Um, I'm kind of interesting on why doesn't Finch use Austin Rivers in the rotation? Yeah, I I'm curious about that as well. I think you're going to see a lot of Austin Rivers tomorrow night with Kyle Anderson being out. Um. I also think you might see some Minot. I don't know what he's practicing like, right? So I think, you know, that's the other thing is I argue with people all the time that if you're not in these practices, you don't know what Finch is looking at every day. Um, But I think that if he needs a defender with size, you might see five minutes of Minot tomorrow. Um, but I definitely think that it's a big Austin Rivers and Torian Prince game if they're going to be competitive. Torian Prince can't go one for eight again. And Austin Rivers um, is going to have to be able to play and guard guys bigger than him. You know, I, and, and I don't know why Austin Rivers kind of fell out of the lineup. I, I couldn't tell you. Um other than the fact that he's, I think, kind of like in the Garza mode of, you know, you put him out there and if he's playing really well, he can help you. If he's not playing really well, he really hurts you. Right, right. 
And so, you know, over the course of 82 games, a guy like Austin Rivers can steal three or four games for you. You know, and he did that for the Wolves this season. But I think too much, too much exposure to Austin Rivers starts to expose his weaknesses. Understood. No. And again, I think that, you know, when people say, well, why doesn't this player play or why doesn't that player play? I think one thing that NBA coaches know is that too much exposure to certain guys, they become a liability. Um, why, that's why in the NBA, you know, the, the, the saying is always be ready. Um, and tomorrow they're going to have to have some guys that are ready. I think Austin Rivers might come in handy tomorrow because he's a gamer. He's a warrior. And right now, last night, that team took on a warrior spirit and that's all Anthony Edwards all day. Um, I, I, I tweeted it. Anthony Edwards is a warrior and they better put some warriors around him. Because if they put put warriors around him, he's that type of general that inspires guys to play harder and better than they would normally play. And so I think that that is the one thing I will say for next year is they have to decide who their warriors are and put warriors around Anthony Edwards. He is the face of the franchise, right? Man, he had Nikhil Alexander out there playing like a dog last night. He had, I mean, and he had, and Jaden McDaniels, like, Ant inspires Jaden McDaniels' play, right? Ant inspires Austin Rivers' play, right? Ant, I think, inspires Mike Conley. I think Mike Conley's reinvigorated playing with Ant, right? And so that's what I mean by when I say Ant's a warrior. When you're a basketball player and you got a guy on your team that is just that dude, that's just a warrior who's just like, who puts on his war paint. You know, KG style. KG was that guy. KG was making right. the playoffs with teams that didn't have no business making the playoffs. Right? Right. And, and Ant, Ant's that guy that he puts his war paint on and people are like, man, I'm following that dude in the battle against all odds. You know? And, uh, and so that is the one thing I'll say for Cat and Rudy is that, um, they have to be willing to be led because there's a young warrior, a young general, uh, a, a young Shaka Zulu, uh, a, a young, uh, a young, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a young warrior, a young king who's, who's like, I ain't going out without a fight. You know, a young crazy horse. I ain't going out without a fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he showed that out. Oh, that last night. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, you mentioned that, you know, the ISO ball play at the end of regulation. And we talked about this a little bit. Um, I believe I was talking with you. I might have been talking with, with Coop. Um, no, I was talking with you, Rob. That ISO ball, when they put it in the middle of the floor, right? right it, it wasn't effective, right? Remember, we talked about that. But, again, coach's perspective. When he went ISO against Aaron Gordon at the end of the overtime, where was it at? On the wing. Right. On the wing and on the right side of the floor. Because everybody knows Anthony Edwards wants to go left, right? So when they put him in the left side of the floor at the end of regulation for the ISO, they were pushing him right, which is pushing him into the middle help, right? Right. When when they had him on the right side of the wing on ISO, right, more on the wing, they don't want him to go left, right? We know this. Every team, don't let Anthony Edwards go left. 
So when he gave that hard right stutter step, Aaron Gordon almost did the splits, right? Because you're forcing him right. So now Aaron Gordon's trying to get there and, and stop him with the crossover and step back on him. And, you know, the turntables might wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> right? Right. He, he put him on them turntables. Do, 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 do. <laughs> right? That's funny. He, he he put him on Run DMC mode, and uh, and it was a wrap. So I wasn't. I, I, it wasn't that I didn't like the ISO at the end of game situation with. Ant. I just didn't like where they did it on the floor. Um, it's all the ISOs before then that were the problem. But when it right. comes down to a last shot situation, you know you got to put your guy in ISO situation and put him in a position to succeed. And the the the, the adjustment Finch made was okay let's put him on the right side of the floor where we know they're going to load up on his left hand but then that gives him some options well because he couldn't back going now what's that it's going to be interesting to see the rotation tomorrow night without Solmo um like Solmo adds so much to the team man he really does absolutely Absolutely. Let's let's be honest. The Wolves have a built-in excuse to lay an egg tomorrow. They really yeah. do. They're missing three of their top seven players. They're missing their best playmaker off the bench, their glue guy, their guard four positions guy. They're missing their all defensive, you know, potential young guy that, you know, also guards four positions and isolation wise is probably the best in the league. And then they're missing their best six man their best bench scorer who oh by the way has been an absolute matchup nightmare for the Denver Nuggets this season because they have nobody coming off their bench at the center spot that can do anything with Nas Reed so the Wolves have every opportunity to go and lay an egg and say up the injuries got us I quit I don't know that they'll win tomorrow but I don't think Anthony Edwards is going to let him go out like that I won't be surprised if he scored 50. I don't know if he'll get 50, but I think he's definitely going to put up another 30 game at least. I don't know if he's got 50 in his, in his, in his package yet. Um, you know, which is, you know, okay. So yeah, he put up 40 plus. So clearly he can get there, but, um, he would have to have a really hot shooting night from the three point line to get to 50 because he just doesn't get to the foul line enough. I just like to see him aggressive when he attacks the basket. Yeah, and I wish he would go off of two feet more when he attacks because I think that he oftentimes goes in there off one foot, euro step or the long step, and then he has to really get creative in midair. And I would love to see him go in there and jump stop with a hard two feet and just use his shoulders and elbows and just bully people up in the air off of two feet to the rim. Yeah. I think you can get more fouls that way. What do you think about, like, I mean, I don't think we don't have any first-round draft picks next year, so. No, we have next year's first pick. Oh, we do have it. Okay. We have next year's pick. Where would you be looking at? Um, I'd probably be looking at a trade. I'd probably be looking at, you know, like I said, you got a team option on Torian Prince. Um, 
you gotta you gotta have money to re-sign Nas Reed. I think you have to bring Nas Reed back. You can't let him walk for nothing. Um, if nothing else, you gotta be able to do a sign and trade with Nas Reed for somebody that's really you feel like is gonna upgrade your team. Um, but um, you know, they're probably gonna be drafted. They're not gonna be in the lottery, obviously. Um, so no, I take that back. I take that back. They don't have a 2023 pick. They have their 2024 pick. So I take that back. So they don't have a pick this year. I'm, I'm mistaken. They don't have their 2023. They have their 2024. So, you know, my not is their pick for this year, right? right? That's why they drafted him. And that's why they drafted him where they drafted him as a developmental player, hoping that whatever he would have become with another year of college, he'll be past that with a year in the G League and a year being in the on the bench and in the practices and in playoff practices and on the playoff bench and another summer of development, he's their draft pick, you know, and then they and then they got the boy over in Europe that they stashed and they got more. Mina and more are their picks for next year, right? Because I even think that at the end of the first round, more was a developmental pick, somebody that they knew they weren't going to bring D'Angelo Russell back because they knew he was going to want more money. And, you know, I think that they kind of are hoping that more turns into maybe something like Mario Chalmers did when he was in Miami. Got you. You know, a defensive-minded point guard that can knock down an open shot, you know, because Ant's going to be your primary playmaker in a couple years anyway, if not next year. You know, and Mike Conley's back for a year. He's got a year on his contract, right? So I think that, you know, Minot is their number one draft pick for next year, and Moore is probably their number two draft pick for next year. Um, and then, and then they have their 2024 pick. And like I said, that's all the more reason, I think, to run it back because at least at, you know, not having cat for, you know, the three quarters of this season. Um, but having him through the playoffs with Rudy. At least you go into the off season knowing what the problems are, right? right. Go into the off season, and that's why another reason why I'm not for getting rid of Finch, because nobody knows up close and personal what can work and what won't work with Rudy and Cat in this too big system more than the guy who's been sitting on the bench watching it develop in playoff ball against the number one seed in the West. You're going against the best, so whatever they're doing to expose you. Because it's not like Rudy and Cat don't have talent for their skill sets at what they do. They're both been made all NBA. So you know they have talent and skill sets. It's how do you maximize that in a team setting along with Anthony Edwards, who's now an all-star, right? So you know what the problems are to a certain extent. Because do you think this series is 3-1 and Jake McDaniels and Nas Reed are healthy? That I mean, that's a legitimate question. Yeah, and let's think about it. Do what do the twin? What do the Timberwolves look like when everybody's healthy? And when everybody's healthy, do we feel they're better than the eighth seed in the West? Absolutely. In my opinion, that's a no-brainer. In my opinion, you if if you all things considered, out of the course of fifty-two games. And how many of those games do you think were losses that Cat is worth? Change that out. 
if Cat is worth changing the outcome of four losses out of those 52 games that he missed, then you're the what, four seed, five seed right now? I would say at least five. Right, because I think they finished, what, three games behind the fifth seed? Yes. So they're five seed, maybe four seed right now if Cat is worth four wins out of those games that they lost during those 52 games. And let's say over the course of that time, they really figure out this winning style of play for their personnel. Then maybe he's worth a lot more than four, right? Because the other thing people don't understand that I understand as a coach and, you know, the, the, the championship trophy I got on my mantle is a perfect example of that. Once a team understands how they have to play to win consistently and starts duplicating that process, then it becomes a whole nother level, right? Denver understands exactly what they have to do to win games and they can consistently duplicate that. And that's why they're where they are. Right. Right. So um, if you take a team with the talent that the wolves have and they can figure out how to consistently, what is the style that wins for them? That is duplicatable. Then it's something else. Then it, then it becomes a different story. And that's why I feel like they need to run it back and hope for good health, right? Because what if during that 52 games, let, let's say Cat's there and all of a sudden it clicks and they find their winning style? I think, maybe everybody's, I think if everybody's healthy and we'll say out of those 52 games that he missed, mm-hmm. I think they at least win at least 10 to 15 of those games. Well, then that puts you at a one-two seed. I, I mean, I just think, I mean, we're, we're talking about fifty-two games. I think, and, and I'm talking about the 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 team they have right now. So, like with the Conley trade, everybody healthy, right? With everybody healthy, let's say from the start of the season, like let's say from the start of next season, mm-hmm. with Conley and, and and Alexander Walker, this team that they have now. I think if if they stay healthy and they are able to stay healthy throughout the course of the season, they could they could see fifty wins. Well, I I wouldn't disagree with you. I still think that they are a shooter or two away. Okay. I feel like in Anderson, McDaniel, Gobert, Alexander Walker, you have the defenders. I feel like you need more scoring. And, oh, I agree. And and um, you need you need another bench shooter, right? Because Conley, over the course of a season, probably going to give you like fifteen to get game. And then you got what Ant's going to give you. You got what Cat's going to give you. You got what McDaniel's going to give you, right? You got what Gobert's going to give you. If Nas Reed is back, you got what Nas Reed is going to give you, right? But then. What else you got coming off the bench that's actually going to be a consistent score, especially from the perimeter at that guard spot? So I think you need a Jordan Clarkson sounds real good, by the way, right about now. Um, you know, you need that amazing come off the bench and score. Amazing. Yeah. Now, if they go get Jordan Clarkson, 
and he replaces, you know, Torian Prince slash Austin Rivers slash Jordan McLaughlin. And you might have a 50 win team now if they're healthy. You know, uh, he could replace definitely McLaughlin and Austin Rivers. Well, I'm just saying, like, you got to make the money work. So that's the other part, because Jordan Clarkson ain't going to come cheap. Well, of course not. And, and you got to resign Nas Reed and you got. You got to give a max to Ant. You're going to give close to max to Jaden. And then you got Cat super max kicking in and Rudy's already making max. So there is a financial component to this. Of course. The root of all evil. <laughs> right. So a lot going on, man. There's, there's definitely a lot to ponder, uh, but they haven't lost yet tomorrow night. So it starts there. You know, maybe this is, maybe this is a conversation we revisit if they're still playing, uh, you know, pushing toward a game seven, uh, at the end of the week, you know? So, uh, what's, what's the, the verdict on tomorrow night? What's your, What's your your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are Denver probably wins, and it wouldn't surprise me if they won by double digits, 10, 11, somewhere in there. Um, it also wouldn't surprise me if the Wolves got blown out. Um, because, be, because they looked like they were about to get blown out in the third quarter. And Chris Finch didn't call the timeout. And again, I'm going to give Finch credit. Whatever he said during that timeout, they were a different team from then until about two minutes to go in the fourth quarter, <laughs> right? And then they came back out in overtime and blitzed them, you know. But um, this is a very fragile team, you know. They're 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 they got fragile personalities and it's a fragile team. And I think that you know Jimmy Butler came out and scored twenty two points in the first quarter, or Miami was going to get blown out tonight. And then he scored 20 points in the fourth quarter to win the game. And I think that Anthony Edwards is going to have to put up 20 points in the first quarter to keep him in the game tomorrow. And then he might have to put up another 15, 20 points in the fourth quarter if they're going to have any chance of winning. Um, and Anthony Edwards don't have the amount of years in the league that Jimmy Butler has. And so Anthony Edwards is still a make or miss player. He could be nine for 12 and have 21 points in the quarter. Or he could be two for 12 and they could be down 15. We just, you know, that's just the fragile nature of him being a 21 year old player who's still trying to figure out how to be consistent night in and night out. And right now he's on three good games in a row. Can he make it four? Timberwolves are either going to lose by more than 20 or they're going to win by two points. Well, if they win, it won't be by anything more than two points. That's for sure. It's going to take a buzzer beater, in my opinion, to win it. You know, but I, I do agree with you that there's a, my, my, my gut says they might get blown out the water. Um, but I think, yeah, Denver's going to come out. Denver's going to come out with a vengeance because they really just felt they had the game. And they feel they let the game slip away versus, you know, the Timberwolves. So I, I really feel that first half is going to be crucial. It's really going to be crucial. It's not even going to be, it's not even going to be like the third or fourth quarter. That first half is going to be crucial for the Timberwolves. 
Denver has championship aspirations. And so from their perspective, they don't want to have to come to Minnesota and play another game. They want to stay home and rest. Exactly. They don't want to have to get on a plane, fly to Minneapolis, play another game. They want to sit home. They want to rest. They want to get ready for the next series. They want to start scouting whoever their potential opponent is. Um, looks like it's going to be Phoenix. I mean, I'm right. Yeah, Phoenix. And, uh, they don't want to be fiddling around with the Wolves having to fly to Minnesota and play game six. Um, so yeah, they're going to get Minnesota's going to get Denver's championship effort tomorrow. And again, this is, this is about Anthony Edwards at this point in time. Cause I feel like Cat's legacy is what it is. I think we're discovering that Cat is not the type of person that can go on the road in a playoff atmosphere and score 40 points and lead his team to a victory. Um, that's Anthony Edwards. And so this is about Anthony Edwards from here on out. And Cat. I mean, Cat can be a supporting cast. But I think the team, if y'all don't mind me jumping in. Absolutely. The times I've watched the, uh, the Timberwolves, they just get aloof. It's just, I don't know what it is like that cloud. The mile is like a, the focus, they like focus. And the, the, when I mentioned Cat, the fouls he makes sometimes, I just, it's just, I just have to shake my head. Like, what are you thinking? You know, especially, I think that was that, was that the playing game? And he just pulled somebody down. It's like two minutes left in the, in the game. He's like five fouls. Like, because, yeah. The foul he committed on Jokic last night was ridiculous. <laughs> if you watch it on slow motion, like when I watch it live, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they calling that. What is that? And then I watch it on slow motion, and I, my thought turned to, you know, you can't do that. Andrew. You know, you can't reach this hand of his chest and hold him. What is you thinking? Like, and you arguing and you laughing and you making these faces at the refs and all. Oh, what do you call it? Dude, that's a foul in Pee Wee League on up. You can't reach your arm across a man's body and hold him while he's trying to drive. The player game, he pulls somebody down. Like, what are you thinking? Like, you just got in the game. <laughs> You've been saying that. You that's just not in the game. But that's why I said it's about, it goes back to that warrior comment. And that's why I said it's about Anthony Edwards. Because you said it. They make aloof decisions. But at the end of the day, they make aloof decisions because their leader makes aloof decisions. Mm -hmm. Are the team that your leader represents, right? And you look at Jokic. Jokic doesn't very often make those types of plays. Right. He makes the really smart, controlled play. Yeah, he throws some elbows and he gets away with them because he throws elbows smart. Exactly. He's smart with how he throws his elbows. He's not just flailing elbows all wild and high and in the shoulder and head area. Yes, Cat, he elbowed you when he spun and drop stepped on you. You could see it clearly. He elbowed you, but where did he elbow you? He elbowed you in the hip, in the rib area. He's not having his elbows all high up by your neck and shoulder area where it's easy for the ref to make the foul call. And he didn't wrap his elbows around your body and hook you up. He chicken wings you real subtle. Mm -hmm. So you can yell at the refs all you want. 
but he gonna get away with that. You Cat gotta remind that out. Cat reminds me of a kid when you know they get caught doing something wrong, <laughs> and they just start lying to their parents. What wasn't me? That wasn't. That's how he acts when he gets fouled, and it's just like, bro, we all see what the refs see. Like, you just gotta play smarter, man. Like, like to me, like not only his fouls, but like even on offense, he becomes a liability at times. Yeah, he, I mean, he's he's an incredible shot maker. He has an incredible uncanny knack of efficiently putting the ball in the basket. I don't know that he's fluid. I don't know that he plays with leverage. Like he does a lot of things stylistically and in some cases fundamentally wrong. Right? But you cannot discredit his ability to put the basketball in the hole at an efficient rate. And I think for years as Minnesota fans, and this might be a pod for another day as we're getting along, we've grown frustrated with his inability to be self-aware and own the fact that he has to improve some things as opposed to waiting for the system or the institution to improve, to make allowances for him, right? He still plays too high. So he gets those offensive fouls. Well, dude, you've been getting this for a lot of years now. Sit down on both ends of the floor. Sit down. And if you're not physically strong enough to sit down, that sounds like some off-season corn leg work. <laughs> that goes back to that, that goes back to that Jimmy Butler practice. <laughs> Look, I, 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 there's a, there was a video on social media back when Zach Levine was with the Wolves. I think it was Zach's, the summer between year one and year two for Zach. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, um, him and Kat are working out, out at Zach's place. You know, Zach's dad was a professional football player. So Zach's kind of a workout warrior himself. Right. Okay. And, him and Cat are working out in this video. And Cat's Zach is pushing the sled. They're pushing the sled. And Zach is encouraging Cat, right? And Zach is beasting that sled. I mean, and this was when Zach was skinny, right? But his lower body strength, obviously them hops he had didn't come from not doing anything, right? Zach is beasting that sled. And Cat's big self was looking like that sled was beasting him. Like, it was looking like, why am I doing this, right? And Zach was encouraging him and pushing him on. And the look that Cat had on his face, I was like, yeah, he don't like that lower body work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I bring that up because I feel like that's manifested. If you look at Cat getting a defensive stance, how often do you see him sit down and widen out in a defensive stance? If you look at Cat posting up, how often does he get lowered in his man? And how often does his man push him all the way out? Sometimes they damn near by the three point line to get post position. And how often does he get offensive fouls because his, his elbows and forearms 
are up around the neck and shoulder area of his opponent when he makes his moves. Gold man wins in the post. Yep. That's a leverage. That's a hip flexibility issue. And that's something that I don't understand why it hasn't been corrected after all this time, except for he's so prodigious at his ability to score over the top of people that he's just accepted that this is my game and I'm not going to make those adjustments. But then you also have to accept that your game is going to include three, four offensive outs. And if you want the refs to call it different, then you have to do different, bro. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't necessarily get an unfair whistle because he does get called for some ticky-tack stuff, but it all comes with the territory. You know? Rob Coleman, my brother from another mother, keyboard player extraordinaire, producer, songwriter, beat maker, sports enthusiast, man, taking the Twin Cities all the way to Bama with him while they talking about Auburn and Alabama football. You'll be talking about how the Timberwolves are getting ready to run it back and win 50 in the fall. <laughs> I'm talking about St. Paul. I'm talking about Selby. I'm talking about Dale. I'm talking about University. You know what I mean? Shout out I to know exactly songs. what you mean. Shout, you shout out to our songs. I shout out to Best Steakhouse on Victoria University. You know what I mean? Shout out to Walker West. Yeah, I'm going to shout out everybody. Yeah. Shout out to Walker West. What up with you, folks? podcast world you are listening to the podcast formerly known as the coach and the crooner i am frank centwally with special guest rob coleman and of course the producer extraordinaire the super producer as we call him mr lloyd coop thank you guys so much for tuning in and uh, we're going to be back at you shortly coop and i'll probably be checking in uh by the end of the week because we'll either be talking about a potential game six or we're going to be talking about what the Timberwolves are going to do now that the offseason is upon us. Thank you so much for listening to the reboot of the podcast formerly known as The Coach and The Crooner. This is now The Coach and The Coach of the, I don't know, Twitterverse. Help us out. But thank you all for listening. One love, Timberwolves Nation. Peace. Peace.